My name is John Norris. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I haven't said this in a while, but right now we're in the compound with restrictions and we're able to have kids here with us, which is a gift. We don't have kids' space for kids who are fussy or upset. And I want parents to know we're glad that you are here and we're glad that your kids are here. We really are. We know that it can be difficult and it can even feel like maybe this isn't worth it. I mean, some of you, I've spoken with you and you said that was was good to be at worship. I heard about 15 or 20 percent of the sermon. That's okay. It is still worth it. It's worth it. Your interactions coming in and out are a blessing to the whole body. And we pray that God would continue to help us. If you don't have kids and you're hearing fussing or crying or moving around in chairs, pray for parents. Pray for them. Pray that God would help them hear and be patient. Pray for the kids, that God would work in their hearts. Kids, we're really glad that you're here. We really are. You know, it can be hard to sit still for an hour, especially when somebody starts talking on the stage and you're talking about a text. It can be confusing. But listen, if you hear truth, even if it's just a little snippet of truth, and you believe it, that's how God works in your hearts. No matter how old you are, he can work in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If you hear truth, and you trust it. It's easy for grown-ups to complicate things, but it really is that simple. You hear the truth, and you believe it, and that's how God works, and he can do that for you, kiddos. So we're glad that you're here. Okay, our text. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. If you can see the text yourself, it'll help. Let's read it together before we begin. Paul writes to Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. We thank you again for your word, Father. And would you do work through your powerful word tonight? Would you help me to think and speak clearly? Would you help us to think clearly? And by your spirit, would you help us to trust the truth? Would you work among us in power that way? We ask through Jesus, the one who secured every good thing for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You guys know what a telescope is? A telescope 
It's an instrument you can look into one end and you can look through it and you can see things out in space. You can see glorious cosmic things out in space that you couldn't see without it. That's what creation is like. God has given us creation like a telescope and he wants us to see through it. And through it, we can see amazing, glorious things. But Satan wants you to think that real worship before God is taking that telescope and putting it on the shelf and arranging it just in the right way. He wants you to treat creation like it's something you shouldn't use, or if you do use it, what's important is that you arrange it correctly. What he doesn't want you to do is to look through it to see the glory of God. And we're going to see that in this text, that God has given us creation to see him through and to thank him through it. And demons hate that. So our outline two points, demonic worship and thankful worship. So demonic worship and thankful worship. Verse 1, we're starting with demonic worship and what it is. Verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. So this is saying the Holy Spirit has told us clearly, that's what the word expressly means, the Holy Spirit has told us clearly that some people are going to walk away from Christianity after it looks like they started. And we shouldn't be surprised Jesus told this, that this would happen. So this is from Matthew 24, verses 9 through 12. Jesus said this. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, they're going to deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So Jesus told us beforehand that there would be people who leave the faith. The Holy Spirit told Paul the same thing. We hear this in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31. Paul says this, he's talking to the elders in Ephesus, and he says, after my departure, I know that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. It may be a strange thing to you, but these passages are a comfort to me because it can be really destabilizing 
when someone you know who looks like they really trust Jesus or a teacher that you admire who seems to really trust and love and teach Jesus walks away. Because we know those who really belong to Christ, they're going to last until the end. And we know that when the Spirit changes someone, it's permanent. And so when we see someone fall away, we can think, is this real? Is this just a sham? Are we playing a game? But Jesus in the Spirit told us beforehand it would happen. It's not a sign that Jesus was wrong when people fall away. He said, you're going to grow up and right beside you are going to grow up people who look just like you. But they're not and they fall away. We've been told, and that's what Paul is saying here, the Spirit has expressly said that in later times some will depart from the faith and behind it all, behind this departure from the faith is the work of demons. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Okay, so there are people who are leaving the faith because false teachers are proclaiming false teaching. And Paul says that they're insincere liars. He says their consciences are seared. What he means is they're forbidding things. They're giving commandments, but they're doing those things secretly. They're hypocrites. And he says their consciences are seared. That means their conscience has been burned and scarred over. That's what seared means. So they don't feel anything anymore when they do evil. They do evil and it doesn't bother them. That's who these false teachers are. And behind it all, are demons. Now notice what kind of work demons are doing here. This is important. Demons are not being passive. They are working hard to influence teaching. That's primarily what demons are concerned about. Demons are not primarily concerned with how they can jump out at you in the night and scare you. That's not their primary concern. What they are desperately concerned with is what you believe. You see that? If demons jump out and scare you and it makes you run to Jesus, <laughs> cling to him, they lose. If they hurt you, and it makes you run to Jesus and cling to him, they lose. Their efforts are by any means possible to trap you in unbelief. That's what they want. And therefore, they are always trying to teach. They fight the truth by teaching lies. You remember last week? 
we saw that the church of the living God is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. The church, we hold up the truth and we defend it. And demons are working to knock it down or exchange it with something else. That's what they're doing. They're teaching. If you live your life as though the truth in this book is not important, you've lost. That's exactly what they want. If you're the kind of person who lives your life thinking, well, I've got my truth, you've got your truth, it's not a big deal. The war is over. That's exactly what they want. If you think, well, at all costs, I would rather preserve friendship with this person than speak the truth, game over. That's all they care about is that you don't love the truth. People depart from the faith when they depart from what is true. And therefore, demons are always trying to influence teachers and teaching. Now, we get a hint in verse 3 as to what this false teaching is. You see verse 3? These false teachers forbid marriage, and they require abstinence from foods. So what these false teachers are teaching is that getting married is what makes your soul dirty. Or eating certain foods is what defiles your soul. That's the teaching that they're giving out. Why is this kind of teaching so destructive? You might read over that and think, that doesn't seem very bad. I mean, I don't know why it's such a big deal. It's weird. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it demonic? Here are four reasons. There are probably lots more, but here are four. The first reason why this is destructive is because it adds to God's commands. They're commanding things that God never did. If you create new commands and you obey them, that's not extra obedience towards God. He's not extra pleased. He's not like, oh, you obeyed my commands and you made up extra ones and obeyed those too. That does nothing to God's heart to please him. What he commands is for our good. Here's the second reason. Satan wants you to think that God is less generous, less gracious than he actually is. Satan wants you to think God's not that gracious. He's not that generous. Kids, if your mom or dad gives you a new bicycle and it's a fast one, you love it. You're like, Mom and Dad, this was so generous. For two weeks, you're riding it everywhere, having a blast. And then some adult, maybe a neighbor, comes over when your parents aren't around and says to you, Hey, I know you've been having fun on the bike, but I happen to know that what really makes your parents happy is when you don't ride the bike. Your parents gave it to you, but they're more pleased when you don't ride it. Now, what would you think, kids? 
If you listen to that adult, what would you think? You'd think, if you believe them, you'd think, well, that's weird of my parents. I mean, I thought that they were being really generous to me, but they don't like it when I use the bicycle. What would your parents think if they heard that? They'd be upset. They gave the bike to you as a gift so that you would know their generosity because they love to see you enjoy it. Here's a third reason. If God gives us gifts in creation as a way for us to experience what he is like, then for us to refuse those gifts all the time means we're missing out on an opportunity to enjoy him. God gives us the created world so that we might know what he is like. We might see through the created thing, enjoy it, a delicious piece of cake, enjoy it, and then see through it to the goodness of God. And if you refuse God's gifts over and over and over and over again, you are refusing an opportunity to see what God is like. That's why he gave the gift to you. That's reason three. Here's reason four, and this is the biggest reason. This kind of religion distracts us from what true worship is. Follow me here. True worship is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what true worship is. That's what pleases God. When you trust him, you see what he's like, and you love him with all that you are. Sin is when we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Satan wants you to think that sin is not touching something or not eating something or touching something just the right number of times. Do you see the difference? One has to do with what your heart loves, and the other has nothing to do with your heart. You can touch or not touch something with a heart that loves or hates God. You can eat or not eat something with a heart that loves or hates God. It has nothing to do with your heart. And so Satan loves this kind of religion. He wants you to think that true worship is bowing the right number of times, at the right time, in the right building. Those things don't touch your soul. They don't touch your heart. He wants you to think that you should avoid bad food and eat good food. That's what true worship is. He wants you to think that you need to cross yourself in just the right way, say Hail Mary 20 times, and that that's the kind of stuff that pleases God but it has nothing to do with your heart. He wants you to say the same phrase over and over and over and over again as worship, but it's demonic. It's religion that deals with things that are outside of your spirit in the physical world, and it assigns spiritual value to them. You get that? Those things don't touch your spirit, but it assigns spiritual value to them so that if you only eat vegetables, that's what pleases God. 
If you show up to the compound at 6.30 and you sit there from 6.30 to 7.30, that's what pleases God. But it misses the point of true worship. God is pleased only when our hearts trust and love His grace. Real worship has to come from a heart that God has transformed to trust and love His grace. This is the gospel, everyone. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's that your soul has not loved God. Your mind, you haven't loved God with your mind, with your strength. You haven't desired Him, treasured Him. That's sin. And Jesus Christ came to die to pay for that sin and to give you a heart that really loves God. Touching something or not touching something, eating something or not eating something can't forgive your soul. And it can't change your heart one bit. That's why Satan loves this kind of religiosity. He loves this kind of religiosity. He loves you being as religious as possible so long as it doesn't actually touch your soul, so long as it doesn't actually deal with your problem, which is your unforgiven sin and your need for a heart to be changed he loves it, and we like it too. Because we know every single person, the Bible tells us, who's walked on the face of this earth, every single one knows that something is wrong with our relationship with God. We all know it deep down inside. And so demons are happy to give us religion so long as it doesn't deal with the problem. And we like it because it feels like we're doing something to fix the problem. But it doesn't reach the heart. It's like going to the doctor and finding out you have a blood disease and the doctor gives you makeup. That's what demons do. It's like finding out you've got rot in your house and the contractor gives you a bucket of paint. It might feel good to put the paint on, and that's why you do it, but it doesn't fix the problem. We can manage a religion like this. Hear this. This is really important. If your religion is bow just the right number of times, touch things, don't touch things, eat good foods, don't eat bad foods, you can manage that kind of relationship with God. You can feel like you've got it under control. You don't have to love him. You don't have to trust him. You just got to do the right things at the right time and show up at the right place. But to have a heart changed so that it loves God, that requires a miracle. And that's what Jesus does. People are attracted to this kind of religion because it feels religious and manageable. Listen to this. Paul talks about a different kind of teaching just like this in Coloss Colossae. 
So Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, he's speaking to the church, and listen to what he says. He says, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used. He's saying that's just physical stuff you're moving around as your religion. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This kind of religion, don't get married, you'll be right with God. Don't eat meat, you'll be right with God. It looks spiritual, but it doesn't honor God. It doesn't reconcile us to Him. It doesn't change our hearts. It doesn't help us know Him. Let's talk about thankful worship because Paul's going to switch here from talking about the teaching of demons to how we should think about the created worlds and worship in light of it. So Paul combats the false teaching this way. Look at verse 3. These teachers, they forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Let's start right there with that last phrase. Everything created by God is good. Paul is getting this from Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, God is creating the world bit by bit. And when he finishes one bit, he sees that it was good. He sees that it was good. He sees that it was good. And Paul's saying that means the creation is good. God made it good. Now, just a note, if you know your Bible at all, you know that God does, in the Old Testament, restrict the people from eating certain foods, touching certain things. But he does it so that we would know what sin is like. And when Jesus comes, he does away with pictures like that. Paul wants us to recognize that badness doesn't come from the creation. It comes from us. If you want to talk about where evil comes from when you're engaged with the world, it doesn't come from creation. It comes from us. Once there was a snake that was allergic to its own venom. So it would bite a mouse, eat it, and get sick. Bite another mouse, eat it, get sick. Bite another mouse, eat it, get sick. And it came to the conclusion that mice were poisonous. And so it starved. Where did the poison come from? From the snake. The snake poisoned itself and blamed the food. That is us with creation. We sin with everything we can get our hands on, and then we blame everything we got our hands on. The poison comes from within. 
God made it good. When we use creation with a heart that treasures God, that's pure. And when we use it with a heart that wants to replace God or ignore Him, that's what's evil. That's why Paul said in Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Because our hearts are what poison the world around us. The world around us doesn't poison us. So, how should we use the world then? How should we use the gifts that God has given in a way that doesn't poison them? Verses 3 through 5 tell us. These false teachers, they forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Notice, Paul does not say God made everything good, therefore, nothing is to be rejected, period. That isn't what he says. What makes your participation in the gifts that he has given you holy? It tells us in verses 4 and 5, nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Receiving God's gift with thanksgiving in a heart that is saturated by the word changes everything. That changes everything. God made everything. Listen, church, he made everything for you to receive And as you receive it with thanksgiving, it becomes worship. All of it. The false teachers are saying, no, 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 some of those things are bad. Don't touch those. That's what real worship is. Real worship is don't touch that and eat that. Don't eat that. That's what pleases God. And God is saying, no. Receive it all with thanksgiving and the whole world can be caught up in your worship remember the telescope we mentioned at the beginning that's what god wants he wants you to enjoy the gifts that he's given enjoy it enjoy it as best you can and then look through it and see the god who gave it and thank him And that changes everything into worship. Satan wants you to take the telescope and think that real worship is putting it on the shelf and then turning it in just the right way, just as long as you don't look through it. Now, here's a note. It's an important note. There are times when we should give up our good gifts. Paul is not saying that the Christian life is receiving things and hoarding them to yourself and enjoying them and worshiping him and keeping them away from everyone else. That's not what Paul is saying. So much of the Christian life is giving away. We give our money away. We give our food away. 
We give our privacy at home away for the sake of love. But when you are enjoying a gift, how do you do it in a way that makes it worship? Thanksgiving. Drinking coffee can become holy when you do it from a heart that sees that God is a gracious giver and thanks him for it. Fufu, adobo, biryani, even KFC can become worship when you receive it with a thankful heart as a gift from God that shows you what he's like. It becomes holy. That can happen tonight at the food court. Worship from a heart that pleases God. A cool breeze in our line, listening to your favorite song, belly laughing with friends, an embrace from a spouse can all be caught up into worship when we receive them as gifts from a gracious God and we give him thanks. God is glorified in thankful Christians. Are you? Are you? I think probably everyone in this room could grow in becoming thankful, in seeing the gifts around us that God has given, receiving them as gifts, and thanking him. That's what honors God. Thanksgiving is spiritual warfare. Satan wants you to see this world and the gifts that God has given and think that you can manipulate God by ignoring them, touching them, not touching them, eating them, not eating them in just the right way. But that cannot forgive a single sin. And it cannot give you a heart that loves God. That's what real worship is. But Jesus Christ can. He can forgive your sins. And he can change your heart. And he can make us the kind of people who take in all the gifts that God has given and turn them into worship as we thank God. Let's pray. Father, we do want to end by thanking you. Would you forgive us for our blindness to all your goodness surrounding us all the time? And would you make us a church that is filled with thankful hearts so that you get the glory in us? Jesus Christ, you have purchased our salvation and you've given it as a gift so that we can have hearts that love you. Make it so more and more. Jesus, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.